Good evening, everybody, and thank you for joining us for the Thursday, March 9th, 2023 regular meeting of the Santa Monica Rent Control Board. Uh, would you please call the roll? Yes, Commissioner Quinn. Here. Commissioner Ivanov. Here. Commissioner Gonska. Here. Vice Chair Leslie. Here. Chair Foster. Here. Would you please stand for the Pledge of Allegiance? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Okay, if the coaches will take a quick look at the votes that were sent uh, for last month, and uh, entertain a motion to accept those when we're ready. I'll make a motion to approve the minutes of the last meeting. Second. Moved by uh, Commissioner Gahan, and seconded by Commissioner Ivanov. Are you in favor? Aye. Aye. Minutes are accepted. All right. Madam Executive Director, do you have any special announcements for us tonight? Do you have to turn my mic on? No, shouldn't I have to? Okay, sorry. Yes, good evening, Commissioners. I do have a few announcements this evening. Uh, next week, there will be a rent control newsletter sent to every property owner and tenant in a rent-controlled unit. This year, or this newsletter focuses primarily on the impacts and effects of Measure RC. So it has an explanation about the change in the general adjustment effective in February and then what will happen when the 2023 general adjustment is applied. So the tenants' newsletters will have two rents listed on it. We always include the current maximum allowable rent, but this time we will also be including the rent, which is the August rent adjusted by 3% or $70, and that's the amount to which the 2023 general adjustment will be applied. So we're getting that information out to people so that they'll have that. We will also be uh, announcing two seminars that we'll, we will be having in early April. On April 4th, uh, the tenant seminar will be held virtually from 4 to 6 p.m. That's a Tuesday. And that seminar is designed for tenants and provides um, an overview of the services available through our office and how rents and amenities are defined and the protections against eviction and the remedies available for excess rent, lack of maintenance, and loss of amenities. And then two days later, we'll be offering the owner seminar. Uh, that will be on April, Thursday, April 6th from 4 to 6 p.m., also virtually. And that's for owners and property managers. Um, it covers the basics of the rent control law and owners' rights and responsibilities. We'll also um, explain the Civics Portal, our new online uh, filing system, and we'll demonstrate how to file a tenancy uh, registration form. So to sign up for those, the newsletter will have a QR code as well as a web uh, link for anybody who's interested to sign up. And everybody's welcome, so you can attend both if you're interested. And finally, I wanted to mention um, the city, as you know, um, offers 
a program called Preserving Our Diversity, which is a program to assist lower-income seniors who have lived in their units since at least 1999, and it assists assist them with a cash subsidy that ensures that they have a sufficient amount um, to get by month to month after paying their rent. We have 200 participants in the pod program, and the city is looking to increase that. So there will also be information about that in the newsletter. And I want to thank Mr. Costello, who did the major work on the newsletter, a complicated um, subject, but I think he's done a pretty good job explaining it. And so I want to thank Mr. Costello and his team for that. Thank you for that. Can I ask you a question? Of course. Um, so you said that it lists the tenants rent. Did the database calculate that personally? Was that a successful result? Yeah. Well, uh, yes, we have 27,000 units. <laughs> yes, we did. And, you know, some units are not eligible for the adjusted rent because tenants moved in from 9-1-21 to the present. So those units, uh, there's been no change in their rents, and so they will only have one rent listed because that will be the amount, to, if they're eligible, to which the GA will be applied. And that's all explained on the newsletter as well. Questions from commissioners? Okay, thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs> I just have a question. How many different languages is that translated into? We produce it in one language and then we make it available in other languages upon request. So okay. we're trying to translate everything into four languages. Okay. But you just reminded me, I don't know that we say that it's available in four languages. <clears throat> As a newsletter had suggested that to me when the last newsletter came out. Mr. Costello, I think we just have that in Spanish, so we need to make a note to do that in multiple right. languages the next time. I'm, I apologize to you. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Leslie. Good catch. All right, great. Thank you, Director Condon. Alright, we're on to item 7, public comment. Um, this is the time we're supposed to for the public to address the board on matters that are not on the agenda, but that are within our subject matter. And we have no requests to speak tonight, and so if there are no additional requests for public comment, we will close public comment. Alright, thank you. jurisdictional items. We have item 10A, an exemption for a single family dwelling. At 1147 Franklin Street, would you like to give a brief staff report? Certainly, Commissioners, good evening. Um, this is an uh, application for to permanently exempt a property because it's a single family home under Section 1815 of the Charter. Uh, the, there's no dispute that this is a single family home, and the applicant, Mr. Norman, is the owner. All of that is established. The question before you is whether he has provided evidence to show that he has resided on the property for at least two consecutive years. Um, that's the requirement for the exemption. Um, he does own another rental property in Los Angeles, but he submitted uh, uh, rent deposit slips and a statement for, of registration of rental units from the city of Los Angeles to show that it's used as a rental property. It's not where he resides. He also submitted utility, financial, and government records to show that he resides at the property that he, for which he's applying as his principal residence. And uh, therefore, and the voter registrar also shows the property as his mailing address. Um, given that evidence, staff recommends the board grant the exemption. 
Tonight, the system. So this doesn't really have anything to do with the actual decision here, um, but kind of informational question similar to what we had at the last board meeting. If it differentiates th this case because of fire or obviously denying a prior exemption or taper exemption, well, how did this come about that this owner has to get this exemption as opposed to this happens many times, I'm sure. And I don't know the reason that the owner, the current owner applied for it, but no, uh, this is a permanent exemption. So unlike an owner-occupancy exemption, I feel like it's uh, echoing, I apologize. Um, un unlike an owner-occupancy exemption, which is for a th property that's three units or less, um, th that exemption lapses when the owner moves off. For single-family homes, um, the, 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 that's distinct. For a single-family home, if an owner can prove under the charter that they have resided on the property for two consecutive years, then they can apply to permanently exempt the single-family home from the rent control law. And that's just simply the way that the rent control law treats single-family homes set differently than it does other properties. So the prior owners had never applied for it for whatever reason. Okay. This that's owner wondering. Okay. And to add to that, isn't it also true that that structure was used as a rental property and was registered in a database at some point. Correct. So if it wasn't subsequently used like that, it was in the database. Right. So if those owners move back out, what would be, can we put it back in our database or how this, that's just it? That's just it, and that's the difference between a single-family home and other properties, and it's the way that the, ch the first amendment that was made to the rent control law in 1984 was to exempt single-family homes if they met certain requirements. The two requirements were that they weren't, either they weren't rented on July 1st, 1984, and if so, then they're categorically exempt, uh, or they can apply to exempt it if an owner has lived on it for at least two years. If you recall, for an owner-occupancy exemption, it's only four months. This is a two-year test, but if they can do that, then the charter exempts them permanently. Well, certainly, the structure was built to be a rental, but it just so happens that when the law came down in 1979, it was anything being used as a rental had to be registered. Right. So some single-family homes happened to be being used as rentals at that time. All right. Thank you. Uh, still have a motion. Mm -hmm. I don't want to move the item. Commissioner Wesley. I move that we approve this application. Second. All right. We've got a motion and a second. May I please call the roll? Commissioner Gonska. Yes. Commissioner Gwynn? Yes. Commissioner Ivanov? Yes. Vice Chair Leslie? Yes. Chair Foster? Yes. The exemption is granted. Thank you. Okay. We're going to have a of item 10B with two appeals tonight. The first is 1538 Harvard Street, Unit 1. The applicant is Ian Martinez Tent. Can we have a staff report, please? Certainly. 
Uh, commissioners, uh, tenant Eric Martinez petitioned the board to determine the initial base rent of his tenancy. The hearing officer found that the initial base rent was set when Mr. Riot um, had moved, uh, moved into Unit 1, and Mr. Riot is the person um, who was occupying the unit when Mr. Martinez moved in two years later. The hearing, uh, the, uh, Mr. Martinez has appealed that decision. He argues that the initial base rent was reset when he moved in and the landlord charged him a discounted rent. And alternatively, he argues that the initial base was reset when Mr. Riot moved out and the landlord kept on charging a discounted rent. Under the rent control law, the initial base rent is the amount of rent that the tenant actually pays during the initial term of the lease. And once the initial base rent is set, all future maximum allowable rents, or MARs, are based on that initial base rent, and they are increased annually by the general adjustment. Um, also, once an initial base rent is set, the landlord cannot set a new initial base rent until the unit has been vacated completely. A partial change in occupancy is insufficient to reset the base rent. In this case, uh, the Mr. Riot and his roommates at the time moved into this unit, Unit 1, in 2008 and paid an initial base rent of $2,550. Two years later, Mr. Martinez moves in. He executes a lease with the landlord, and he, the landlord discounts the rent to $2,000. But when Mr. Martinez moved in, Mr. Riot was still living there, and so there had only been a partial change in occupancy. And moreover, uh, Mr. R Mr. Martinez was replacing the roommates that were authorized under the initial lease, so he was occupying the unit pursuant to the initial lease agreement. And what then happens is, the land under the rent control law, a landlord can collect less than the MAR. You can discount; they don't have to collect the MAR. But because just because they discount the rent doesn't mean that the MAR is reset. And so when Mr. Martinez moved in, the MAR wasn't reset because there had been no complete vacancy of the unit. Nor was the MAR reset when Mr. Riot moved out because, again, there was no um, vacant, complete vacancy of the unit. It was still only a partial change in occupancy. For that reason, the hearing officer found that the initial base rent was established by Mr. Riot when he had originally moved in. Mr. Martinez, in his appeal, points to a court case and also the related provision that was addressed in that court case um, to argue that the, rent was, uh, the initial base rent was reset. But that court case is actually inapplicable because it concerned the situation where the only remaining occupant is a subtenant. And Mr. Martinez was never a subtenant. He never claims that he was subtenant, neither did the other side, and there's no evidence of him being a subtenant. Mr. Martinez also points to another regulation of the board. Um, that regulation um, is incorporate, uh, incorporates uh, provisions of the Costa-Hawkins Act, but they are and they're an exception to the ability of the landlord to reset the initial base rent after vacancy. But they, that provision only applies to deed-restricted units and Section 8 tenants. This was not a deed-restricted unit, and Mr. Martinez is not a Section 8 tenant. And finally, Mr. Martinez 
argues that the landlord violated the board's registration regulations because he didn't the landlord didn't register his tenancy when he moved in and didn't register the discounted rent that he was paying. But that is not what the regulations require. The board's regulation requirements only require the registration of a new base rent. So whenever the base rent has been set after vacancy, the landlord is required to um, register that. They don't have to register the name of the tenant, and they certainly don't have to register any discounted rents that they uh, subsequently charge. Only they have to register it when the initial base rent is reset. And uh, because the hearing officer's decision is in accordance with the law, staff recommends that the board affirm it. Thank you. Do any of the commissioners have any questions for staff? Commissioner Bounsky. Thank you. Uh, so, to me, uh, this seems pretty straightforward in terms so, of. So, we're just doing questions of staff at this point. Understood. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any questions about the the, the facts of of uh, what the appeal is here. It seems pretty straightforward to me. But one question I do have is I noticed that within this, the documentation here we received in the report uh, that the rent in, I believe it was uh, 2021, when that GA went into effect, uh, the rent increased from 2466 to $3,007. And so my question is around if there are any rules or regulations uh, specifying how much of an increase can happen in one year even if it's within the bounds of the MAR? The landlord can always increase the rent to the MAR. There is no, there is no uh, uh, limitation on the ability of the landlord to increase the rent to the MAR. Can I be referring to state law regarding more than a 10% increase if, if something in the noticing period would increase to 60 days? Is my understanding. I think it might have been 90 days at this point, over 15%. And the, I believe you, perhaps you're referring to the state rent cap, um, and Correct. that that does not apply to a situation like this. There are specific exemptions in the state rent cap that allows a local rent control um, law to take precedence. Okay. Yeah. And, and like in my opinion, that's unfortunate because here it's it was a you know almost a 22% increase that uh, you know even though the rent was significantly below the MAR for a number of years, it appears, uh, it still can be quite a burden for rent to increase by that much in a, in a one, you know, from one month to the next, but uh, understood that that is allowed. Thank you. Sorry about that. Okay. Um, all right. Any other questions for staff about the staff report itself? Okay. So we have a couple of speakers on this item. Um, Question for Mr. Kemp. Do you want to reserve time in the event? Which one's Mr. Kemp? Would you like to reserve time in case you want to use it? Or do you want to go ahead? No, I would appreciate that. I got it, sir. No problem. All right. And we have Mr. Eric Martinez. Go ahead and step up to the podium, sir. Up to five minutes. Okay, thank you. Go ahead. So there's four issues I want to bring up, which is, so when I first moved into Santa Monica, I moved in just as a roommate, paying $900. And then the landlord made me, basically forced me to sign a lease for $2,000. No mention of a prior lease or rent control or that this other person that was living there had a whole other arrangement. So I signed a lease in good faith. And then next thing that happens is 
the roommate moves out, and he signs another lease for 2000 So I've lived mostly in the city of Los Angeles where contract law is that that's what I'm paying. So I paid that for two years. Then he raised it from 2000 to 2400 a 20% increase. So I don't know how the rules work as far as if a landlord, I didn't know it was lower to begin with. This is what I was paying. So I don't know how a landlord can, in rent control, raise it 20% two years later. And then, and I didn't know about rent control at that time. So then I go another, from 2012, all the way to 2019 paying that amount. And then he raised another $46, which that seemed fair. Then out of the blue, I lose my job during COVID and I can't pay rent. And I went through Senator Ben Allen. He helped me out to get rent paid back to my landlord. And at that point, he decides to increase my rent. And I don't know if there's a statute of limitations, but I never knew that I was, you know, I'm basically at the mercy of some rule that the landlord at any point can raise my rent to some fictitious number based on a prior lease by 30%. Suddenly I go from 2466 uh, to $3,000. And I, so that's when I contacted the, the rent control board and they said, well, you're not even registered. We don't even know you exist. And on top of it, they tell me if the landlord would have passed away, I would have had no protections. I'm like, well, how on earth does this calibrate towards rent control for tenants? So I appealed it. I mean, I did the hearing, and here I am now trying to figure out why am I getting raised 30%, and can the landlord just raise the rent and lower it as much as they want? This doesn't make any legal sense. So this is the reason why I wanted to appeal it. And what they're saying, to me, it's a loophole. There's got to be some exception where at some point a landlord can't just keep the rent at a certain amount, and unbeknownst to me, decides just to raise it, and I'm stuck with that. I mean, that doesn't seem like rent control was created for those reasons. So that's my reason for appealing it. These other things about how rent control, unless someone vacates it, it's the only way that someone's registered, makes no sense. So it means I have no protection unless it's a vacated place. And that's my concern is that, you know, how is this protecting tenants in Santa Monica? You know, why sign a lease then for that case? That's my concern. It has no validity whatsoever. You know, I've been paying for 12 years this amount. Suddenly after COVID, I get increased by 30%. That just doesn't seem fair to me. So anyways, uh, I think I have two minutes left. So any questions or response? So the, the way a uh, comment works from uh, a a party to the appeals that you're allowed to make arguments to us. It's not so much a, a question and answer. Okay. Correct. That's I'm correct. Sure that. According to our procedures. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah. So my my appeal is that either they honor. I'd like to have my lease honored uh, and only increase the amount that is allowed by law, not 20 percent or 30 percent. That's my concern. Is that how is that legal? So. Anyways, that's uh, all I have to say, and hopefully, because, yeah, I can't afford paying 30% more, and I don't see how that's fair. You know, And there's also nothing in my lease mentioning a prior lease of someone else. And even the landlord during the hearing said he never considered me a continuation of the prior people. So how can the law go against the landlord and me and my lease? So that's kind of why I'm thinking that there's got to be some other way around this where... You know, the law isn't meant to protect someone for 12 years to suddenly raise the rent. That doesn't make any logical sense to me. So 
Anyways, that's my my appeal. I do have one quest a clarifying question for you. We are allowed to do clarifying questions in our channel. Did you periodically receive communications from the right board that all of the units in town receive with a could be? I used to receive these things that sometimes got thrown away that's like this pamphlet that's rolled up that, that's staple. Mm -hmm. And I never understood what it was. Yeah. It never said like this is for rent control or anything. So for the most part, and it never was corresponding to my rent. So I, I didn't know how it worked. I Maybe it's property taxes or something like that, but I didn't know that this is something that obligates me on someone else's lease from two years ago. That's the issue. Thank you so much. All right. Um, do you wish to retire? All right, sir. All right, thank you. Uh, that closes comment on this item, and we will enter discussion. Do any commissioners have comments or discussion they'd like to initiate? I'm happy to, if I don't see any names. Um, first of all, kudos to staff and the humans department uh, for addressing lots of complicated issues and uh, what's great about some of the, the more complicated cases, maybe great isn't the right word, what's interesting about some of the more complex cases is that we as commissioners and as a staff get to explore and re-explore um, chapters of our regulations that were made years ago, decades ago, or more recently. And, um, and this is definitely one of those cases, so my hat's off to the hearings department and, and the staff attorneys. Um, I do remember living in Santa Monica during what we called the economic downturn. And I do remember there being a lot of for rent signs, far more, in fact, than during COVID. Um, practically every building seemed to have a red West Side Rentals sign in front of it if you've lived here that long. And I remember the neighbors all saying, oh, you know, you can move laterally and get a lower rent. So a lot of people, I do recall, were, were negotiating. Uh, lower rents, and in some cases even signing new leases. Um, and, and, and part of what that might have been rent control was questions that clients had at Meals on Wheels or questions that neighbors had, questions I had as a tenant. And it's really, it's a big city. We have some of the most, uh, the strongest tenant protections in the nation. Uh, we also have some of the strongest landlord protections in the nation through our processes that in recent public meetings, it's been pointed out that the laws and court cases have shaped and refined and honed those processes. And so it's completely understandable to me why a tenant who has a different full-time job or a different life doesn't understand every amount of landlord-tenant law. That is completely reasonable that they don't understand it. However, um, it's up to every one of us, whether we're a tenant or a landlord, to avail ourselves of the law and to find out um, when it concerns the, the roof over our head, um, it just behooves us to, to read that, that, that pamphlet that comes in, you know, in the mail um, because it does direct uh, tenants toward resources and phone numbers and addresses and hours of operation. Um, and latest news and things about the roof over their head. And yes, really, it's going to be complicated. All of that is true. Um, 
but again, those are private contracts between individuals and we regulate the rent level. And I am not sympathetic at all to the plight, but landlords are. Um, it's, it's a lot of times would love to have the situation where they're not raised for many, many years at a time in, in a city that has the highest rents in the nation in some cases. So um, the good news is they're not allowed to bank time, so they can't catch up on past due rent, but they can raise it to that matter. Uh, that comes on that folded piece of paper a couple of times a year from, from the rent board agency. So uh, I am, for one, completely satisfied um, that what seems like a complex issue on its face is within the standard of every part of the law that we have regarding this. And so um, uh, I will be supporting the hearing officer and um, Commissioner Gwynn. Yeah, I, I agree with that you're saying that it is complicated, and um, I'm glad that commissioners are understood this, but I also get the person struggling to understand how we got to this number. Um, so I understand why Mr. Cole is, is done what he's done. The one question I do have, um, first of all, um, one question to um, Mr. Cole about the legal issue there, which is that the landlord has contracted that for the period of the lease, they're only going to be charging the tenant X amount. The mall is here, but the landlord has decided in this situation that they're going to give a discounted rent. So long as they don't go above the mall, they're not violating the law. Right. But the, the, the lease was uh, legally significant for the period of time that it was in operation. Right. But once the lease is over, unless it's renewed for that same amount, gotcha. they don't get to, uh, the landlord is free to raise it to the mall. Okay. That's all I have to say. Thank you, Commissioner Gorn. Commissioner Gonska. Yeah, I agree with what's been said so far uh, by my fellow commissioners. I think that uh, to me here it seems that the hearing officer um, is accurate in their determination uh, according to the rent control law. Uh, the positive thing for the tenants in this case seems to be that for a period of time they were being charged a rent that was below the maximum allowable rent, and that's great. Um, unfortunately, the laws exist to allow landlords to raise the rents to the MAR at 
any given time outside of a lease with proper notice, of course. But to me, my personal opinion, it's really unfortunate that the laws exist that way because a 22% or 20% increase from one month to the next could force a lot of people out of their homes. And to me, that's not right. Uh, but unfortunately, that is the way that the law exists today. I'd like to see that change, but all we can do is, is follow what the law is currently. And uh, one other point I want to make is just, you know, in addition to the mailings that go out with the Mars listed, you can also go to the rent control board's website to search any rent control property by address in the city and see what the maximum allowable rent is, assuming that it's properly registered, of course. Um, and that's easy to find it with a Google search or, like I said, going to the rent control board's website. So, um, you know, I, I think I would like to see that rules change so that there is a lower maximum increase, even if the rent is below the mar, uh, to make sure that people aren't forced out of their homes by giant increases, which you know, in theory could be used by uh, landlords to try to uh, force out long-term tenants if, it, you know, if they kept the rent below the mile for a number of years on purpose in order to suddenly give a massive increase that a tenant couldn't afford. You could see how people could use that quote-unquote loophole uh, in a nefarious way. So uh, unfortunately, I think I'll be supporting um, uh, this here tonight, but I wish it, wish it were different. Thank you for your comments. Commissioner Wesley. So this is just a clarity question. So in this case, the landlord charged each uh, $2,000 a week, with Commissioner, that was for the entire unit. Okay. So, so when they, when Mr. Riot had moved in, the landlord signed a lease and charged them twenty-five fifty. A couple of years later, in two thousand and ten, Mr. Martinez moves in, and when Mr. Martinez moved in, he starts charging him two thousand dollars, and that went for several years, and then at some point it became twenty-four hundred dollars, and then only in the last couple, I think it was two thousand twenty, I believe when there was a significant increase uh, uh, to the, uh, in kind of catching up to the MAR. So there was a second moment, how much were they being charged at the same time? Um, well, all that we have, in terms of how roommates dis, dis, uh, divided it, it's not something that we get involved in. All that we know is that the rent for the unit is 2000 okay. So the, the, the landlord can't, uh, the rent for the unit was 2000 or the before that it was 2550 um, whatever is the mar uh, the, that's how much the landlord is the maximum the landlord can charge but whatever the landlord is charging the, um, the, however the tenants uh, split it up with, uh, between themselves is not something that we get involved in yeah. so this is my confusion this is my confusion so I'm just trying to clarify, like, in other words, that both the rights were being charged above the more. Right. Okay. Thank you. Um, another educational note. Um, it's probably worth noting, and I hope the public finds, gets ample opportunities to hear this, but several years ago, this board uh, worked very diligently on a front and back uh, document that must literally be presented at time of listing that, that avails the tenant of a quick hits of all the tenant landlord law, uh, both in the city, county, and state, um, on a document at the time of lease signing. And so we, we've recognized some of these 
um, you know, educational gaps um, when people move in and enter these contracts. Uh, and we've tried to address that as a board and as a government as best we can. And it's not always easy, and we need uh, two-way participation with our citizenry. And it's, it's tough. I do wish landlords um, and, and tenants and landlords who move in together better understood California state contract law because it's not just a casual relationship between landlords. It's, it's it's a contractual um, legal arrangement between people, and and it, it far too often it leads to. Uh, tragic circumstances are, at uh, the very least, hurt feelings. So, um, all right, would anyone like to make a motion or have any further comment? Um, I'll move to affirm the hearing officer's decision. And to deny the appeal. To deny the appeal. Do I second? I'll second that. All right. Moved by Gonska, seconded by Green. May we have a roll call vote, please? Yes. Commissioner Ivanov? Yes. Commissioner Gwynn? Yes. Commissioner Gonska? Yes. Vice Chair Leslie? Yes. Chair Foster? Yes. Motion carries. Thank you. Excuse me. Yes. Before we move on, sure. Executive Director Cohen. I just wanted to respond to Commissioner Gwynn's uh, point about understanding base rents and maximum allowable rents and general adjustments. The newsletter that will be in people's mailboxes next week has all of that information. We're really trying to explain this so that everybody will understand it. So everybody who's listening, please look closely at the newsletter that you will receive so that you can learn this. And we have a staff of information coordinators and analysts who are available at the board to answer questions. Um, and that information is also available on the newsletter. So we will hope that people call us who have questions about the rent. But we are putting that information in people's mailboxes next week. And if there's any other additional outreach are we doing on the newspaper advertising or is the city for their list as we've done in the past when we had significant events like this? Do you want to speak? Good evening, Commissioner. So, uh, yeah, uh, we are working with the city's communications team, um, and uh, we have scheduled a number of uh, social posts, email blasts, mostly promoting the seminars because that will be our, our opportunity to really present a lot of information to people. So it's really more centered around that. Okay. Because uh, we're outreach teaching people how to find us. Yes. One way or another. And for one reason or another. As long as you're there, Mr. Cassell, um, what I know in the past that one control is to have their own distribution list for email blasts. Do you still have a separation from the city with that, or is it now kind of entwined with the city's? Um... No, we have we have our own. Uh, so we have our own email blast, and we also will use the city's channels as well. Okay. So they they will send it out on their channels. Their social media is, is uh, has like eighty thousand subscribers, mm -hmm. so it's far greater than the reach that we have. Okay. Thanks. All right, thank you, Mr. Costello. All right, we'll close that item. Uh, we're moving on to item 10B2. We have uh, an appeal 
215 Broad Street. Uh, the petitioner is Chad Cole, and we have a staff report first. Commissioners, uh, tenant Chad Cole petitioned the board for a rent decrease because he said that the water that came out of his faucets was uh, smelly and rust-colored um, every so often. And uh, he, um, the hearing officer, found that he failed to prove, to meet his evidentiary burden and prove his case. He has appealed that uh, decision that denied him the rent decrease. Um, as a petitioner, Mr. Cole bears the evidentiary burden of proving his case by a preponderance of the evidence. Uh, Mr. Cole's landlord, Mr. Puldar, uh, has been replacing the older galvanized piping that's in the property since he's purchased it in 2017. In response to the complaints that Mr. Cole had made, uh, Mr. Puldar uh, it changed the galvanized piping that fed water into his unit with copper piping. But Mr. Cole insisted that the problem still continued. At the hearing to prove his case, he submitted a photograph that showed discolored water coming up out of a bathtub fixture. That photograph, however, was taken prior to the completion of the replacement of that pipe to his apartment. He also pointed to a photograph from the hearing investigators and said that it showed sediments. The hearing officer found that it just as likely showed uh, air bubbles. And moreover, the hearing investigator who had taken the photo and who had done the, the site visit, she testified that the water came clean and clear from all of the fixtures. Um, the only discolored water that the hearing investigators saw was in the filter that Mr. Cole attached to the bathroom faucet. Now, the water had been running clear before the filter was attached, and the water ran clear after the filter attached. But in the filter itself, the hearing uh, investigators saw some discolored water. Um, in addition to that evidence, Mr. Uh, Cole uh, testified about conversations that he'd had with the Water Resource Board staff and the city's water treatment um, team. And they had said that galvanized piping can have contaminants in it. But none of those experts testified at the hearing. Moreover, none of those experts had actually been to Mr. Uh, Cole's unit and tested the water to see if there was any issues. Um, excuse me, commissioners. My apologies. That's okay. Take your time. After the landlord had uh, replaced the um, piping that came to the unit, he took a technician from a company, a uh, chem company, to test the water. And the results didn't show any particular problem with, uh, with, the, with the water. Um, but Mr. Uh, Cole argued that the test was really ineffective because he said that Mr. Puldar interfered with the test by turning the water on and off and that they only tested the cold water and they didn't test hot water. Mr. Puldar responded that 
Yes, he had assisted the tech uh, by turning water on and off for him during the test, but that wasn't interference. And he also said, yes, they had only tested the water when it was on cold, but that didn't matter because it's the same pipe that brings it. So if there was a problem with the, with the water, it's, it's a problem with cold or hot. Given that evidence and that record, the hearing officer found that Mr. Cole had failed to prove his case by a preponderance of the evidence. The board reviews this matter as an appellate body and, and as an appellate body, it should affirm the decision if the decision is supported by substantial evidence in the record and is reasonably supported by the record. Because that is the case here, staff recommends that the board affirm the decision. Thank you for that report. Do we have any commissioner questions about the staff report before we move on to our speaker? Okay. So, oh, commissioner Adenoff. I just want to like, clarify the timeline here. So, the relevant pipes were replaced on September 14, 2022, and the tenant provided photos of the discarded water on the same day, September 14th as well. So I'm assuming that the photos that he took were just taken earlier that same morning before the, the pipes were fully replaced? That is what the hearing officer found. Okay. And then um, when the hearing investigator testified that the water that they saw was running clear, do we know when that inspection was conducted or how many days or weeks approximately after the September 14th date? I believe it was a couple of weeks later. It was in early October. I can... Okay. Thank you. Okay, any other questions for staff about the report before we move on? All right, so uh, uh, Mr. Chad Cole has requested an opportunity to speak, so go right ahead and step up to the podium, and when you're ready, you have up to five minutes. Thank you very much for supporting us so well in the city as tenants. I greatly appreciate everything Rent Control does. I want to be very clear from the get-go. Um, so I'll try to be brief. Um, so the pipes, um, the galvanized, as the gentleman, I didn't get his name, um, very uh, clearly explained, um, had been deemed and on the record during the hearing as old and bad by the landlord, and he's been replacing them primarily um, throughout the units that he's coming in when folks move out and um, uh, updating, um, but he's also gone through most of the common areas. The main issue that, um, and I was, I was glad that he replaced the um, horizontal pipe that runs underneath the first floor of our two-floor complex. Um, there is still um, galvanized that comes up from that into my unit, and then in my unit from, you know, across the, the lengths of my, um, from the water heater, hot water heater, for example, on one end of my unit all the way to the bathroom at the other end of my unit, that piping, and that was part of my, my questioning when, I, when he offered to do the testing, if we could test the hot water. Um, and so there is still a length, and there was a, a comment in the hearing officer's report that I think a footnote you might find that indicates that I, the um, petitioner, spent an inordinate amount of time talking about the pipes that run throughout my apartment, but that, that was kind of the gist of this whole um, petition was the, the pipes, the galvanized that need to be replaced. So those, you know, verticals that come up from the pipe he replaced 
and the others that go throughout my apartment are still the old pipes that I was hoping um, he would also update. Um, old neighbors, and I say I'm an old neighbor, there's a 25 units and about four of us are the old units that haven't been vacated and, and updated. We're also complaining about the water, so it hasn't been just me, and I think that that may be in the record. I hope it is. Um, and they also took their own home kit water tests, um, and that was an additional reason why he replaced that, that other piece was because both she and I, who she lives below me, her, her pipe now is, is the one that it uh, primarily, I think, helps. It also, I think, helps me too. Um, as for the filters, um, there was no filter on the tub spigot that had the, um, the orange water. And um, th it wasn't clear actually when the date was that he replaced that. And so the, the water that came out of there, I do believe as uh, Mr. Ivanov indicated that it was um, during that, uh, later that day that I took the photo. And you know, it's maybe you guys saw this, I'm not sure but it was um, a pretty significant um, amount. Thank you for that clarification. Yes, okay, great, sorry. Um, so yeah, and uh, the water results during the test that I said, um, I was never clear who actually um, deciphered those results at the, from the hearing officer and what expert said that those were in range. And so that I tried and I, I couldn't figure it out because all the different um, measurements seemed, seemed different across the test. So I couldn't figure out how it, how it was deemed um, safe that the water didn't uh, fail any of those, those tests. Um, and as for Mr. Poldar interfering with the test itself, um, part of the issue I think you know, that is happening is that the pipes, the galvanized pipes um, have been, they're old, as the landlord indicated. He said, they're old, they're bad, we want to replace them. Um, is that because when he's been doing all these remodels of the, of the 20 units out of the 25 in the complex, every time he turns off the water and then turns it back on, I don't know if you, any of you have experienced this, but there's air that gets in there. And I mm -hmm. think that that air and again, this is, this is what seems to happen, is the most common time I've seen this is when he's been doing more construction, and that air, I think, jostles the inside of the pipe. And I don't know what those look like exactly. I'm guessing that they're just old and degraded, and then that whatever stuff starts to break loose. So um, when he turned the water on before the test and let it run, I felt like that was interference because oftentimes when I first turn it on is when I see it, like with the bathtub photos. So um, I'm almost out of time. Um, and can the same issue be resubmitted? I think it said I could. Um, can new issues be submitted? Because uh, I'm done. Right. So yeah, you can finish your thought. But if, if you have questions for staff, that's something that, that staff can help you with, even in the hallway, just after your case is heard tonight. Thank you. Um, we, we can't answer that from up here. But staff can absolutely help you okay. with any reapplications. Thank you so much. Does anyone have any clarifying questions? All right, seeing none. Uh, Commissioner, I would like to uh, mention that the hearing officer did waive the six-month rule for this issue. So although the hearing officer found that Mr. Cole had failed to meet the evidentiary burden, and he bears the burden, not the landlord, 
um, then he, but he, be, he can, he, he doesn't have to wait six months before he can refile on this issue. He can refile um, at any time, presumably when he has secured the necessary evidence to prevail in making his case this time. Thank you for that. All right. You can have a seat, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. All right. We will enter discussion. Do any commissioners have any discussion on this item or a motion? Commissioner Gonska and then Commissioner Gwynn. Uh, I'd just like to say that I think, um, you know, given the the facts that we have here, uh, unfortunately, I'll be, um, I think we we have to, at least in my opinion, we have to uh, affirm the hearing officer's finding, deny the appeal. But I would say that it, I haven't dealt with this exact issue in my own uh, apartment before, but plenty of times in life when you're trying to show some, a problem, it, of course it doesn't occur right when you're trying to show somebody what the problem is. So if that's the case here, uh, if you can gather additional evidence to prove that this is an ongoing problem, uh, I'd encourage you to talk with staff and to present that evidence and file a new petition. Thank you. Commissioner Gwynn. Uh, first of all, uh, Mr. Martinez is still here. I just wanted to apologize to him because I think I called him Mr. Cole. <laughs> so I'm sorry for that. Um, and I agree with um, Commissioner Gonska. Um, the problem with this is that there's so much we don't know that it's because we it's basically hearsay. Um, a lot of these things that um, Mr. Cole brought up in his um, hearing, and unfortunately, without the proof there, the people there to back him up that that are experts on this, it's the hearing officer really had no other choice than to rule the way she did. And so again, like Mr. Gonska, I'm going to support the, uh, deny the decrease. Would you care to make a motion to that effect? Sure. I'll make a motion that we uh, affirm the hearing officer's decision and deny the petition and to. That's sufficient. To uh, prove the findings of fact and the conclusions of law. <laughs> I'll second that. All right. Uh, moved by Commissioner Gwynn, seconded by Commissioner Gonska. Would you please call the roll? Yes. Commissioner Ivanov? Yes. Commissioner Gonska? Yes. Commissioner Gwynn? Yes. Vice Chair Leslie? Yes. Chair Foster? Yes. Motion carries. All right. It's my favorite time of the quarter. <laughs> Uh, did you guys hear that The Price is Right is moving from CBS Television Studio to Glendale? Like, what on earth are they thinking? Brian Augusta, come on down. It's time for our legislative update with our advocate in Sacramento, Mr. Brian Augusta of Brian Augusta and Associates. Good evening, sir. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Uh, that is, you know, probably the best welcome I've had, so appreciate that. <laughs> Um, I'm hoping to go home with that car. <laughs> um, it has California emissions. Uh, so good evening, um, everyone. As introduced, I'm Brian Augusta, your uh, lobbyist in Sacramento. And um, as was suggested, I come twice a year to give you a report about what's happening in Sacramento, usually sometime around the spring, like today, uh, to give you a preview of what we know is coming in the legislature and then 
later in the fall, I'll come back and we'll talk about um, what happened. Um, and, you know, this is that, that expectation period where we have like hundreds of bills, literally hundreds of bills in the housing realm. And when they come in the fall, most of them will have long ago died and there'll be only a handful left to talk about. But we're going to talk about what our expectations are for this year with the anticipation that some of those will continue to move. During that time period between now, when I give you this brief presentation and take your questions, and the fall when we'll come back and report on the outcomes, I'll be working closely with your staff to look at each of these bills that may be of interest for the board to take positions. There are 90 plus um, spot bills that have been introduced. Those are bills that don't yet have actual content. So we'll continue to, in some ways, my report is a little bit early because we don't yet know what many of those are. But if we see among those, um, as they get amended, bills that will be of interest to the board, we'll bring those back um, for action or we will communicate the board's position to legislators. Um, so with that, let's talk about where we are. We are at the very beginning of the legislative session in that um, hearing, the hearing process is just beginning to ramp up. As I indicated, you know, many bills have been introduced. Not all of them are in a permanent form, but most of them are getting into that form. Hearings have just started this week. They will ramp up over the next couple of weeks. Um, while we move towards all of those bills moving out of the policy committees and onto the floor by the end of May, then they'll switch houses. That process will repeat. In the meantime, we're also looking at the state budget picture. Back in January, the governor gave his projection of, the Jan of this year's budget picture. In early May, he will give an updated projection based on April tax receipts, something we call the May revise, where he will give us an updated projection of the budget. And that really, that may revise as sort of the last sprint to the finish line on the budget process. So between now and then, we've, we're, we're, we've got sort of all of those things um, happening at once. Let me trace some themes that we see coming for this year, the budget picture. Last year, we had a record um, uh, surplus, and the result was a lot of new ideas and investments. Not all of them new, some investments, many of them investments in existing programs, some new uh, proposals. And now this year we are having an unprecedented deficit, a $24, $25 billion projected deficit, which could grow um, or could shrink. Some budget watchers are, um, are cautioning that, um, or not cautioning, but taking that bad information and, and I think making sure that people understand that we have done a lot as a state over the last decade to protect ourselves from this up and down cycle of the budget and we have reserves. And so thankfully that will not mean deep cuts, but it may mean on a number of things that funding that was, um, that, that was provided in last year's budget, some of which stretch over two year period, may get clawed back or be reprogrammed. So with that budget picture, it does have an impact on housing. Um, it's sort of changing the picture. You know, over the last several years, we've had a number of investments in, or expansion of investment in affordable housing production. So we put money into the main housing programs um, that HCD operates. We've extended the state low-income housing tax credit by 500 million each year. 
Um, we have made some additional innovative investments to spur affordable housing development. The governor's projection doesn't include any of those things except for, which I think is significant, extending the $500 million augmentation of state low-income housing tax credit program. So I think even given that budget picture to have that continue is, is good news. But the message on spending with respect to housing and housing affordability is we're going to need to do more with less. And so I think that has everyone thinking about how, how on sort of the regulatory front can we do more to um, increase housing affordability and protect access to housing. In addition to that, we have um, something like 25% of the body between the Senate and the Assembly are new members. Um, most of them serving for the, almost all of them for serving for the first time in the state legislature in, in one, or, one or either house. So with that comes with, you know, a lot of new ideas and a lot of new enthusiasm, and then a lot of um, ideas that we have seen before from new members. And so um, I think one of the themes is that, you know, all, many of these members ran on and have talked about as have their incumbent um, um, fellow legislators, the state's housing and homelessness crisis. And they all have ideas about how they want to address them. And so we are seeing, I think a really important theme is we're gonna see a lot, we are seeing a lot of bills this year in, the, in that space. Some focused on land use and how we can remove barriers to the production of housing. Some focused, as we'll talk about in a second, on, the, on, um, on protecting tenants and keeping rents affordable. Um, many looking at some of the fair housing implications of how people access housing. So there's just a really a record number, I would say, of bills in, in sort of the broad space that I usually come in and talk to you all about. Um, and so I think from that, we, we know that tenant rights, the housing affordability crisis, um, and, and funding for affordable housing are continuing to be priorities in the legislature. So I wanna talk about a few of the things that we see. As noted in the report, um, there's a bill this year, um, which is, you know, one of several in recent years that is looking to um, uh, amend Costa Hawkins, so amend the state's limitations on local rent control policies. And this bill takes a look at two things. One is the single-family home exemption and eliminates the, the exemptions for single-family homes and condominiums. And the other is the new construction um, limitation. So it would create a rolling new construction date um, and will amend cost August to allow for localities to have a new construction date that is rolling over a 15-year period. So in Santa Monica, that would allow the voters to amend the charter to, to, to accomplish that, which would allow the ordinance to cover many more units than it does today because we are living with, in, in every rent control jurisdiction, a sort of frozen in time picture of when units are or aren't sort of on that line, on the new construction line. So this would create a um, rolling date, which was a feature of prior attempts at the, at the statewide ballot as well to amend Costa-Hawkins. So um, I will say on the, on the rolling date, it's notable that um, the Tenant Protection Act, AB 1482, which provides um, just cause protections and a statewide rent cap to certain units um, throughout the state, 
has a 15-year new construction rolling date. So there's some additional sort of familiarity now and experience with that, um, with that policy that I think, although <laughs> reforms to Costa Hawkins in the state legislature are going to be a very difficult conversation, I think everyone involved in that bill um, is realistic about its prospects given the expected opposition from landlord groups and the realtors. But that part of the conversation seems to be one that um, has the most sort of currency. Um, not to say that, that either one is going to be an easy conversation, but that... Um, Can you repeat that? Which part has the most the, currency? The new, new construction rolling date. Theory being that as we get further and further from 1995 or 1978, it makes less and less sense that those units continue to be frozen. So, and as I said, in AB 1482, we have a rolling date. So, um, and the sky has not fallen. Um, so, so, so to me, in terms of thinking about what I want to emphasize for the board, obviously that's an enormous, enormously important proposal. How far we'll get, we will see. I will say that most proposals, that have looked at touching Costa Hawkins have not gotten past the first committee. So, um, so I, I don't know what we can that we can expect something different this year, but we'll see. Um, but sticking with the theme of sort of landlord tenant related bills, as I mentioned, um, there are a number of bills, and we've seen these in the last couple of sessions, um, trying to put reforms in place to limit um, what. Landlords rely on in terms of credit history to provide more flexibility for tenants who are having difficulty meeting credit screening requirements. Limits on um, using the use of criminal history and background checks in screening. Um, and I expect that we will, although there are no bills in, well, there's not a bill in print on, well, let me start out. We're going to see bills on the, rent, on the question of statewide rent cap. There is one in print now. Um, dealing with um, rent caps in mobile home parks. Mobile home parks were excluded from the Tenant Protection Act. Um, and so many of those tenants are protected perhaps by a local ordinance, but other tenants statewide are not. So there is a bill this year by Assemblymember Marsucci that would provide a 5% cap in the, in, um, for homeowners living in a mobile home park. We also expect to see a bill um, predicting or excuse me, amending the Tenant Protection Act to further refine the protections in there. So after living with that um, bill since it was enacted in 2019, um, policymakers have begun to see a number of trends, including that the, the, um, the no-fault provisions, so removing the units from the rental market or the owner plans to move in or rehab the unit, that those just cause protections, that there are a number of abuses that are proving that the law is not as effective as, as one had hoped. There's also additional pressure to put more units into the mix. Single family homes, most single family homes are excluded under those provisions. Most of the just cause protections do not begin until 12 or 24 months into the tenancy. So um, we expect to see, there was a bill last year by Assemblymember Wicks trying to close some of those loopholes. We expect to see a bill this year addressing some of those um, ongoing issues as well. And then, um, you know, sort of in the broad category of housing funding, there's somewhat arcane limitation on that you all are probably familiar with on the ap approval of 
um, affordable housing production called Article 34. It's in the state constitution. And it was enacted in 1950 in reaction to um, the federal government and citing public housing. And it has a um, it, an acknowledged sort of racist exclusionary history. There have been efforts to repeal it. There may be a effort on the ballot in the next general election to repeal it. But there's a bill this year by Assemblymember Senator Allen that would, um, consistent with the legislature's power to implement that constitutional provision, essentially declare legislatively that the state funding programs that are a critical part of producing affordable housing in California, that those funds do not trigger Article 34. If they did trigger Article 34, then every time a development using those funds um, would need either a project-by-project -project approval from the voters, or as is the case in most jurisdictions, a, a prior approval from the voters to spend money on that. And that is a huge barrier that slows down the production of housing and increases the cost. So, Can so you think of any barriers to his bill? I I hope not. I mean... I, I can't think of any. Yeah. I mean, it seems... I will say that... Um, you know, prior the 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 SCA that will, that is putting this on the ballot, if it, that goes forward, and SCA two, correct? SCA two, that's yeah. right. Um, had unanimous support. The realtors whose predecessor organization put Article Thirty Four in the ballot decades ago is now urging its repeal. So, yeah, I, I, we hope that that would have um, not too much controversy attached to it. I also would have just quickly say, switching gears, so we have a budget picture that doesn't look that good, but one thing that um, voters have always, have long demonstrated support for is um, approving at the ballot bond measures that help expand the funding for affordable housing. And most of our state funding programs rely on, um, on those voter-enacted bond measures to kind of fill those coffers. So um, Assemblymember Wicks has a housing bond. Details are still to TBD, but expected to put that on the next ballot, which would be the primary ballot. Um, and obviously over the next several months, we expect to see sort of the details of that filled out, including how big of a bond and what programs are to be poured into. Um, so let me stop there. I think that's uh, a good overview at this stage in our early legislative process. I just want to leave time as well for questions or comments from the board. Thank you so much. I certainly have some. It looks like Commissioner Gwynn has some first. I do. And hello, Mr. Augusta. Hello, it's so good to see you on yes, this yes. side. <laughs> um, I have a lot of questions, but I'm going to try to limit them. I know the we don't get to see you that often, and so I'd rather get them to you now. First of all, on the Costa-Hawkins um, amendments. I know you said it's always going to be a difficult change, and I've always thought that the 15, the rolling construction exemption just has always made sense. Even when I was an employee of the Rent Control Board, I can remember talking to Tracy sometimes about that seems like such an easy fix to do and makes sense, and I know if that would happen for us, it would involve thousands of units in the city of Santa Monica that would become under rent control um, jurisdiction. So I hope that's an easier fix um, as well. Um, the other part of that one, the single family one, has 
me worried in a couple of things, and I'm sure this is something that, and I know you've talked to staff about this, that it would be very difficult in the city of Santa Monica to, because of our law, um, it would, uh, we just couldn't handle it as it is, and I understand that that would have to be, for us to make that work would have to be changed. Um, why, it worries me in, in, because it seems like it's feeding into this ammunition from landlords and real estaters and developers um, that they've always come against us in being anything to do with Costa Hawkins in, be, and saying, well, they're going after our single family homes. And so that worries me a little bit that if that becomes law or becomes that. So I hope that's as difficult to do as you say it sounds like it might be <laughs> because I think it would have to be for us hopefully changed a little bit so it would work for rent control just jurisdictions um, um, in that instance. Um, I do have one question about that and, and, and again because it's way out there it's down the road a year or two um, when it comes to these amendments if these amendments are put in place by the legislature and again this year on the ballot, it appears that we could have an attempt to repeal Costa Hawkins again yes. by the same group um, that did it before. Um, and maybe this year, next, it may be a better environment for that to maybe have a chance to pass. If that does pass, would then these become inconsequential again, um, these two things? You mean if the ballot measure were to pass? If that would pass my, and these were so amended. My expectation is that with that ballot measure out there, assuming he continues forward and collects the requisite signatures, that this this measure will maybe become, well, I'll say this. We, we saw last time that when the first ballot measure was put on um, the statewide ballot, that there was also a, a measure in the legislature doing something similar was really kind of a vehicle for a conversation, if you will, between the two parties about some compromise short of going to the ballot and all the expense and uncertainty associated with that. It may well be that this bill provides that same function, but I would expect that we won't see both move. If this were to move, then we won't see the ballot measure. If this doesn't move, more likely we'll see the ballot measure. That's, if I'm, is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think they're somewhat linked um, mm -hmm. and that one is sort of maybe leverage for a conversation around yes. how to resolve some of this short of going to the ballot. But we'll see. We'll yeah, see exactly. Ballot. Commissioner Gwynn, would you entertain me just for a moment? Before you move on from that bill, uh, would you talk a little bit about why they included single-family homes and maybe talk a little bit about the numbers of homes that have been scooped up by, not necessarily in Santa Monica, but by corporate interests and used as rentals statewide? Well. Uh, well, to that second part, yes. I mean, we see a trend in California in particular, but throughout the nation um, of, of large investors buying up rental properties, buying up single family homes. And this started when we had our huge downturn and the bottom fell out of the, um, of the mortgage market and we saw a huge inventory. Those corporate investors came in and scooped up the, these properties. Report, talking to tenants who live in these properties, they're not great landlords. They're very aggressive about increasing rents. They're not very attentive. And, and we don't know the extent of that corporate ownership. 
exactly because it's easy to sort of hide behind layers of LLCs and such. But it's it is there's a significant and growing portion of our rental housing stock that is owned by corporate landlords who own single family homes, and they're very aggressive about pushing rents um, in order to satisfy their investors. And so that I think is um, I think to your point, uh, Madam Chair, is is part of why there's renewed interest in addition to just creating more opportunity to put more units under rent stabilization, but we're seeing some really aggressive tactics with respect to single-family homes. And then a local law could deviate from that the way ours does. It's saying you can, but you don't have to. So our local charter amendment that would have to change if something like that changed could, could address that. Thanks for bringing that up, because yeah, the clarification on that is important. It's um, moving on to a couple of others um, that aren't necessarily, well, first of all, I want to mention one that, again, has me a little bit worried, and I know I talked to Executive Director Conan about this earlier, is the unbundling of the parking charges from rent. And obviously that is a really problem for the city of Santa Monica rent control mm -hmm. because that's considered amenities. So first of all, do you does it seem like that make, has a lot of steam behind it to do? And is it possible that we can work some type of um, uh, amendment to that thing to allow rent control jurisdiction to do as we do? Yeah, and we and we have flagged this for your staff, and that's an ongoing conversation. Look to direction from you about seeking amendments to the bill, but um, f for all the reasons that you're talking about, and um, it's too early to predict. I think it's a brand, fairly new sort of policy proposal. This, con I mean, in the legislature, the idea has been around for some time among those who want to reduce parking and over parking and reliance on automobiles, et cetera. But as a proposal in the legislature, it's fairly new. So I think it's gonna take a while to socialize the idea and looking at the legislation. Some obviously complicated moving parts, hard to say how it shakes out this year. But at this point, we're treating it as a bill that's moving and that we should we should engage mm -hmm. on it if it impacts the your charter. The next one, again, it's not necessarily, you know, under our purveyance, but it's certainly affects all of our renters is the renters credit thing. Um, and I, there's two bills that have been introduced, one in each house, or, um, SB 569 and AB 59. And I, I, last year, it was almost identical type, it seems like almost identical bills were introduced in as well. And it went quite a ways through the process. Yeah. What is different about these, if anything? Well, Mr. Gla Senator Glazier has put in a, rent, a, a bill like this one. I, I, I can't recall now what the proposal was in each one, but most years it includes a, um, makes the credit refundable, which is not currently. So even those who don't have uh, tax liability, because it's otherwise a credit against having to pay the taxes, you get the benefit of the, of the tax credit. Um, by making it refundable. But he has done this, and others have, for many years now. We have yet to see one make it to the finish line. Oh, um, so I don't know if the picture has really changed or if there's some detail in this proposal that makes it 
like more likely to pass. But um, one of the one of the barriers is that this governor and his predecessor, Governor Brown, were very clear that those sorts of things, which are tax expenditures because they take money from the general fund, need to be settled in the budget. So I think that's where that conversation is more likely mm -hmm. to take place. Um, and I just want to mention that I think the maximum security deposit amount is a wonderful idea because, you know, some of these people all, moving into new units now paying two or three months rent up front um, is certainly a, a huge burden to be able to, for tenants to move into units. It's bad enough the way it is. So I think making it a one, one month thing is, is great. So hopefully that'll gain some momentum. Um, the last um, one that I really want to mention is actually, again, not under perfect events, but you mentioned it in the public agencies um, that, that there's two bills introduced about teleconferencing. What's, what's the difference between those two bills? <laughs> well, I, I best acknowledge that we haven't delved deeply in those. I've flagged those for your staff as okay. well. We need to look um, more, more carefully at those and whether or not perhaps we'll bring them back to the board for consideration. But they both grow out of uh, the notion that during the pandemic shutdown period, as you experienced, we went to a model that was all entirely remote and for the first time had a lot more public engagement, remote public engagement. I think there's some desire to figure out a, figure out a workable solution that allows for that to continue while also protecting the ability of, of the public to access members and, and petition the government. So. Okay. And then the last one I want to just quickly is um, AB 920, the housing status as a protected class. Yeah. What what was going on out there that prompted this? To this is really about homelessness and treating the unhoused folks with um, with dignity and giving them additional rights because of their status as, okay. as unhoused. Okay, that's it for me. Thanks, Mr. Gustin. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Now playing the role of Carolyn Terosis, Lonnie Gwynn, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to share this segment of the meeting with her. That was so great. Thank you for those wonderful questions for Mr. Augusta. Um, you stole all mine. So great. That saves some time. Um, The unbundling of the parking, I just want to go back to that for a second. I mean, that's really monkeying with contract law at its core and landlord-tenant law. You know, I'd love to hear what Allison has to say about this, but, like, it, do you remember when eBay had the, the class action case and they had to change their rules because people would charge $5 for the product but $87 for the shipping? And, and everyone realized that that was a way to avoid, like, sales taxes and things, you know, by the seller. Uh, in much the same way, and I, I think this is what you were touching on, we have seen attempts already to unbundle utilities, to unbundle different amenities, and then our MAR rules don't apply, um, or, or should or couldn't, and then we have to go to court and say, you know, so is there any consideration in this bill for carving out, you know, many, many laws have a carve out for rent control ju jurisdictions to, to take precedence. Does this one have it? I think that's the piece that needs to be evaluated. Currently, the bill does not take into account how it, 
how it would apply in a rent stabilization, rent stabilized jurisdiction. So there's no exclusion for those units. Is this something that we could um, resolve as a board to send a specific, you know, more than just acting through our advocate, could we actually send an actual resolution? Oppose unless amended as follows. Can we look, and what kind of timeline would be useful for achieving that? Is a month too long? No, it's not. But yeah, yeah. Okay. Not for my. I mean, for their yeah. for the hearings timeline. You know, as far as like amending the bill, there's plenty of time. I think we should do that. I don't usually normally give direction from the dais, but I would like to to do that. If uh, I, I think I see some assent and nodding heads. Uh, we'll look into that for next month. Great, wonderful. Um, glad to see, uh, you know, Mirasuchi uh, taking action on the mobile home parks. I'm not sure how far it'll get. That that is such a crime. I mean, uh, we're really leaving a, a huge swath of some of our most vulnerable renters behind, and it just seems to be something um, that people are turning their heads. You know, we're fighting for tenants in our multifamily homes in in major cities. We're fighting hard for rent control jurisdictions and laws and protections, and we are ignoring uh, this this giant class of tenants um, that, that are just getting away with an entirely different standard. Um, so, yeah. we should all we should all as citizens be be concerned about our neighbors in mobile home parks. Um, Lonnie covered the rest of it. You know what? If uh, how much pronounce the name? What is it? Wahab. 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 Godspeed, Wahab. Godspeed. Um, someday we will elect um, people who, who truly look out for 70% of uh, Angelinos and uh, a huge percentage of the residents of California. That's all I have. Does anyone else have any questions or any comments for Mr. Augusta? All right. Well, seeing none. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you all. You've won a new car. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're paying you quite that much, but uh, Brian, thank you so much for coming. Uh, folks, that brings us to the end of our agenda. Uh, is there a motion to adjourn? So moved. Second. All those in favor of adjournment, say aye. 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 This meeting is adjourned. <laughs>